Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Mango, I was I was admiring your baby face. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen you without a beard. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we didn't comment on it last time, but I, 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 uh, I shaved off just this part and I had the mutton chops in the last broadcast, if you remember. And I was like, and, and you know. It was mostly just to, to kind of, uh, you know, uh, freak out my parents and my brother who, I, who we saw over the ho- holidays. Uh, but I was like, ah, I can't, I can't be a real person with this, so I shaved it all off. And so it's slowly growing back in. But anyway, today we're going to do the Derpies, our uh, long-running series where we talk about the best stuff we did this year. Um, but before we do that, but you want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Um, sorry. On this podcast, we talk about games. <laughs> the The best part about this is that I also like decided to, I guess, swallow an ice cube. Um, at the mean, at the as soon as you pitched it back to me, yes. Yeah, so we like to talk about games, but we also like to talk about movies and television shows. Uh, so there's a lot of ground that the Derpies can cover. If you haven't been to the Derpies before, don't worry. This is everybody's first Derpies sometime, right? The way the Derpies work is one of us will create a category and award that award to something, right? Category can be anything. It can be normal stuff. Oh, what was your favorite movie of the year? It can be out there, bonkers stuff. Like, what was your favorite side character in an RPG this year? Um, and uh, and then the other person has to create their has to create their award on the spot. So, um, part we, of it is like live, I guess. Yeah, we we also always start with uh, our games of the year. Unlike those other gaming shows, which make you wait till the end. Um, Correct. For the past two years, uh, we've been dividing it up into uh, best game as game, best game as sport, and best game as art. Um, so uh, let's let's start with best game as game, I guess. Uh, do you want to go first? Wait, wait, wait. We have three categories? Best game as game, best game as sport, art. best game as art? Yeah, we've, we've been doing this. This is our third year doing it, buddy. Is it really? Yeah. I have no memory uh, so of the- this, but okay. So it started because uh, we had like I gave, so to be fair, this is this is my doing because I gave the first year it was like God of War, Oberdin, and then like I forget what the sport game was, but I wanted to divide it up because they didn't because like Oberdin I thought was very impressive, but God of War was also very impressive. Um, so we could just not do that. We could just go back to single game of the year. Your your call. We do what we want here. You know what? I think I want to do. I'm fine with this. I'm fine with this. So my okay. game of the year is obvious. Anyone who has been paying attention to the podcast over the last year can absolutely call this one. I will call this. Uh, uh, it, it is truly a game of the year in the sense that it is both a fusion of the sports side and a fusion of the art side. Mine is World of Warcraft Shadowlands, right? Um, it, it's actually a little more broad than that. I would want to almost back that up and say that eight point, like the 8.3 patch all the way into this. But um, on the sports side of it, I really, there's just like no amount to how much I enjoyed Mythic Plus this you know, in this in this game and in this expansion, it has very much become the like league thing that we used to do, where everyone is online at the end of a day, and we break off into you know five man groups, cycling people in and out, doing you know doing these mythic plus kind of uh, speed runs of World of Warcraft dungeons. Um, 
that you know like the, the the other pieces of it rating is also something i do a little bit but it's mostly just to kind of like hang out and get gear i was never like very crazy about rating when it came to when it came to this expansion and also um like pvp stuff i was never into i was never into like the pvp side of things um but then i would also say that like i am legitimately really interested and invested in like the wow storyline part of this is obviously that i'm like a wow rp so like i'm really connected to that lore but i am really just like interested to see where they kind of like go from here one of the one of the neat advents of uh you know kind of the end of bfa and shadowlands has been that like we have sort of seen it all most of sort of like the big name sort of like foreshadowed bad guys have all kind of come and gone we have defeated the legion right we have kind of cleared out the old god threat we have visited both zandalar and kultiris these like famously uncovered pieces of azeroth and so um it feels like kind of everything that comes next is all very like brand new. We're kind of establishing new lore rather than going back and sort of like clipping off old lore. Now that is always going to be a, a thing, even in the new lore, we're going back and we're dealing with people like Kael'thas who have a long history in the Warcraft universe, etc. Um, but th from a, from sort of like an artistic perspective, I'm like incredibly interested in like the narrative design and the narrative direction of all things World of Warcraft. So it makes for so that is my easiest, easiest game of the year award. What's yours? Uh mine, and this is probably also not uh surprising to uh to, to anyone, um, but mine is uh uh Hades, uh which I spent a lot of time with uh in uh after 1.0 for it dropped in like uh in August, I wanna say. Um just you know, to to me it was it was the kind of perfect blending of like really solid tight feeling action um and interesting story mechanics right like i um i am long been a fan of super giant games um and this is the first game that has felt like a true sequel to my favorite game of all time uh, uh bastion um and by but i mean by true sequel it's not as like you know bastion 2 or anything but um their games in between which have also been fun um uh were transistor and pyre um, but those games were like very different, right? Like Pyre's basically like a weird fantasy basketball game. And Transistor's kind of like a active turn-based game. Um, they all have kind of like those those cool story elements that Supergiant's so good at, and also like the the, the art direction and the voice direction. Um, Logan Cunningham's the the famous uh, voice actor, or the, the most famous member of the voice acting crew because he does all the deep. He was Rux in Bastion. Um, those are in all of those games, but. I think what they're really exceptional at is making really good feeling combat and Hades really nails that, right? Bastion really nailed it and Hades really nails that. Um, there's a lot of cool upgrade paths with it. Um, I think it, uh, it adapts well to kind of the rogue, uh, light structure. Um, it also has some, uh, neat new takes on that kind of, on, on that kind of thing. But, um, so, so something they've always done with these, these, uh, games is tried to make them like, playable beyond kind of like their storyline right like you can go back and add difficulty modifiers to bastion to play it at a harder level but i always found those like not super compelling but hades by nature of being a a, a roguelite right like it just like it's a very cool and natural fit right like it fit like uh you, you were incentivized to keep playing the game because that's kind of what the game wants you to do if that makes sense and you um and like it doesn't put a lot of like the neat story progression like there's some that's behind um uh, behind playing, like, you know, playing the game to a certain level, like, you have to get to the end of a run, 
Um, and you have to do it many times to, to get to the ending of the storyline. But it's not dependent on ramping up the difficulty. But you can if you want to while you're doing that. And that's much more compelling to me personally. And so just that like, just the combination of the, the really excellently told uh, story um, uh, with the great Greek motifs combined with the really excellent combat makes it an easy uh, game of the year pick for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I absolutely would have guessed Hades if I had, like, put the money down, I guess, beforehand. Um, okay, so to do our next piece, let's do, I guess, Games as Sport next. This one also might be pretty uh, telegraphed, especially if you're a longtime listener, because I talked about this game a lot in the middle of the year. Um, but for me, the game as sport would have to go to Killing Floor 2, which I played about 100 hours of in the in the middle of this year. Um it's really weird to me thinking about it on these on this level because like I don't really necessarily think of like PVE shooters as like sport, right? But the way that we were engaging with that game in the same way that I was engaging in like Mythic Plus this way was just like we're all on, let's load up Killing Floor and you know, play a bunch of matches for three or four hours at the end of our day, kind of like unwind sort of thing. And we did really get into it as sort of a um you know, as a I don't even know how to explain it. I guess um, this competitive experience, but like we're kind of competing against ourselves and like the benchmarks. It's like it's like we're trying to like beat the computer's time trials in Mario Kart or whatever. Um, we fell off Killing Floor pretty hard. We kind of fell off of Killing Floor and then took that same kind of generalized apparatus and shifted it over into Warcraft. Um, but I actually have a lot of love for Killing Floor, and I could absolutely see myself like going back and kind of like dipping into the dipping into the well. It really hit on um, sort of like a visceral and playable combat that I haven't seen, like like FPS combat that I haven't really seen since Payday 2. Everything pales in comparison to Payday 2 when it comes to sort of the way the missions are built out. I've always loved that Payday really wants you to focus on shifting your objective every, you know, 45 seconds or a minute, so you're constantly kind of like reorienting yourself and your squad to doing a new task. In Killing Floor, you're really just killing guys over and over and over again. But the actual gunplay and the mechanics of like leveling up and purchasing weapons and how how you kind of approach the objective strategically has actually is actually much deeper, I think, in Killing Floor and to its, um, you know, to its benefit, right? You can have people who focus on killing lots of little dudes, right? Kind of area of effect, uh, doing like flamethrower demolitionist sort of stuff. You can have people who are snipers or gunslingers, right? Who are built on, I'm going to take out like the most hardcore dangerous monsters, um, Zeds, whatever they're called. Uh, for the team, you know, you can have people who are going to tank the damage, like the Berserkers or SWAT. You can have people who are going to kind of be in that support role, right? And so that's something that, you know, that, that's sort of like the team-based, everyone has their own role to fill uh, combat that's just, I don't know, that's just a lot of fun. So, congratulations, Killing Floor 2, a game from six years ago <laughs> that I just finally played for the first time um, for this award. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to give mine to, uh, Apex Legends, uh, which is a game that I've played a ton of this year, um, in the most recent season. Um, not super recently, but just, you know, um, they keep updating that game, right? Like, like a lot of these kind of live service games, but it is always crazy to me, like how 
compelling the kind of the loop is and just how clean that game is, right? Like there's um there's there's a, a handful now of of these kind of games uh, of these uh, battle royale games that have kind of like risen to the top, right? Um and I don't play Fortnite, but uh, I've played Apex and Warzone and uh Warzone does some neat stuff, but ultimately I think like um it is best considered as kind of like a Call of Duty game first um and a br second and you know it's good for what it is but i just like i am really compelled by uh kind of the the apex uh model right they, they've, they've added some cool new characters um and a cool new map right like the 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 kind of uh what, what is it it's it's like a city in the sky i think it's supposed to be kind of uh you know the society that is watching the apex game when it is happening um in universe the, the lore is a little fuzzy there for me but um it feels really clean it's really fast um in terms of uh, not necessarily in terms of how fast the game goes but like like the the pace of combat right like intentionally uh player unknowns battlegrounds is a more slow plotting game because it's supposed to be a little bit more more tactical um where uh whereas uh apex Legends is supposed to be a little bit more hyper more and kind of like a, i want to say almost like that quake kind of um uh, uh area um and uh you know it's, it's it's like i said it's just it's a super compelling super fun to just shoot some people um and they're and they're keeping they, they keep it entertaining and so i, I think it, it gets that award for me all right um and just to kind of switch it back uh so that I'll, I'll i'll take first on this next one uh games as art um uh so this is a game i played a lot in the middle of the year and i'm specifically calling it out for its art aspect i'm going to do this a little bit i'm going to give it to ghost of tsushima which is one of the most beautiful games i have played in a long time um and this is mostly on kind of like the presentation um uh the story the visuals the music right like all of those kind of like um i'm going to say artsy pieces this isn't like say over it a couple of years ago where i was giving it to it for like kind of like a game uh as kind of like a unique uh fixture um, but this is uh, this is as kind of like it's uh, theming and it's kind of like way, ways of, of like evoking the old samurai films like pretty intentionally but pretty uh, pretty well. Um, uh, it is just so um, just little, little touches, right? Like instead of instead of following markers, you follow like the wind or a bird to to your different objectives. Um, uh, and uh, you know the the reason this is getting game of the year's art is because the combat is fun but it's kind of like um kind of standard right like it re it's it's like uh it reminds me of basically one of kind of like the 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 ubi tower game type things um there, there's no towers but that, that that basically same kind of concept um but without but like but like the prettiest version of that that you've ever seen right so uh you know it's well i found found it good but like uh but not, you know, super impressive in the gameplay department, in, in the kind of looks department. It it just is is outstanding. And also in kind of a lot of the emotional emotional beats. The end of that game was uh one of the the biggest emotional impacts I've gotten from a from a game recently. Uh just kind of like, you know, uh, I I won't spoil it for anybody, but like just kind of like it, it's it's fairly typical um samurai themes but there's you know there's a little bit of subversion there too or there can be if, if you if you want there to be um and uh you know it's just a, a super beautiful uh super captivating game so that's that's my game is yours art is uh, ghost of tsushima 
Well, it's funny that you bring up like the Ubisoft Tower game because I had a bit of like a Ubisoft renaissance myself. I played a bunch of the like I went back, I replayed Far Cry Five and then Far Cry New Dawn, which was sort of like the Fallout esque sequel to Far Cry Five. Um, and I played some Assassin's Creed games and my game of the year for art I want to give to Assassin's Creed Valhalla which is a little bit different than we would normally think of sort of like games as art and I want to like add this context because I think it it matters when I was playing Valhalla I was we were like two ish like a week and a half out from Shadowlands being released and I was like unbearably hyped right I was so ready to do to do the next uh the, the next WoW expansion and I but I was I was in this weird place of I the thing I want to do is play the new WoW expansion. The only thing I can play that's like that now is BFA, right? But there's nothing to do in BFA because it's the end of the expansion. Two weeks from now, all my gear is going to reset, all the other, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And what I did was I picked up Assassin's Creed Valhalla because it just it came out that week. People on my Twitter were talking about it. I was like, you know what? Fine. Um, and... The reason that it really nailed it for me this year, and the reason that I want to give it, like, this specific award is to actually kind of, like, highlight something that we don't always, like, talk about when it, when it comes to sort of, like, the artistic nature of these games and, um, and like, their narratives, right? I was not hit in a very profound or compelling or, you know, uh, insightful place with this with this game this was not the second coming of like mutazione right a, a, a game i worked on I, I love that game dearly it is very emotionally affecting playing it through all the way you know i was really a part of that story and i was really invested in like the drama and the tension of those characters assassin's creed valhalla really didn't hit that for me what it hit was the the skyrim feel right this it created a world and it asked me hey do you believe in this world? Can you get lost in it? Can you be sort of like immersed in the episodic nature of the storytelling, right? Kind of linked with your major character and coming in and out of, um, you know, like coming in and out of some like major plot threads. But generally speaking, each sort of area is its own sort of episode to the to the adventure. And I really fell head over heels for that, right? I never even beat the game. I don't know how it ends. It could end in a, a number of different ways. There's plenty of stuff that got set up in it. But what really got me was how interested and invested I got in that journey, right? Um, in just kind of going to a new area, figuring out what is wrong in the local you know, like the local population, like, oh, a bunch of whatevers have taken over this fort and we got to take it back. Oh, we represent this king and you got to train up his little king son, right? Oh, you show up and the guy that you're supposed to meet is murdered and you have to solve a big murder mystery. And each one of those like little adventures just like grabbed me. It took me, you know, a day-ish to like to, to finish it. And um, and I didn't really need anything more out of Assassin's Creed Valhalla than that. Obviously, Shadowlands dropped and I dropped Valhalla without without a second thought. Um, but it was a, a really great ride for the time. Um, and this is the, the, the this is the kind of game that I feel like I would overlook in other years. So I want to highlight it. I want to highlight it here. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So to continue right along, um, I want to talk about uh, my movie of the year, which is a really weird one because theaters have been closed for nine months. I have barely seen any movies this year, it feels like. Or actually, that's not true. I've seen uh, plenty of movies, probably more movies than ever because I'm at home all the time and all I'm doing is like sitting in my computer watching shit. Um, but uh, 
when it comes to new movies that came out in 2020, there are not that many of them, right? There's a couple of like the big blowout blockbusters from the very early year that we talked about, right? Birds of Prey is one. Um, there's a couple of the ones that came out in the middle of the year. Tenant, which I never actually saw. Uh, Wonder Woman just came out at the end of the year. Uh, Soul, that Pixar movie. Uh, I think Mulan also came out this year, though I did not see that as well. Um, and the one that I had, when I was looking over, I was like scrolling through. I was looking, I was looking at one of the movies that came out in 2020. Of all the ones that I saw, the one that I immediately like jumped out at me and I was like, oh, that that one, it's that one, is Greyhound. Uh, this movie came out on in July of 2020. And um, it stars Tom Hanks. It's the movie about a captain of a submarine hunting destroyer in World War II, which I talked about at the time on the podcast. What a great premise for a film, right? We've seen a million World War II movies, even naval World War II movies, right? Um, and th- and those are, like, great or whatever. But, like, the Battle of the Atlantic that was going on between Allied, you know, uh, ships on top of the ocean and uh, the German U-boats beneath the waves right it's like incredibly compelling drama so good and this movie just capitalized on everything in there i don't know that i'm gonna see it again maybe i will in that same sort of way that like i'll revisit dr strange every once in a while it's just like it's a good ride um but it's just it's so simple it's so straightforward the drama is palpable the tension is electric and it rides or dies in 90 minutes. Like, what else could I possibly want? So I wanted to highlight I wanted to highlight Grey, Greyhound for sure. Kind of in the same vein as Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This is not, not the most profound movie. Not the movie that, that made me think the most or whatever. Um, but it was just a really great ride for the time. And, uh, yeah. Well, absolutely fair. Um, and I, I'm just kind of, like, looking through. Because as I, you know, similar to you, I also didn't watch, uh, or you know, uh, you know, it's been, you know, everything's been closed. Um, I actually did see Tenet again uh, with my, with because um, it released on on streaming. I think on I watched it on Apple Movies uh, with my brother. Um, but uh, uh, I'm going to pick something that's technically came out this year, um, which is uh, we talked about it, uh, Alexander Hamilton, um, or Hamilton, I oh, guess. Yeah. Uh, or rather, the, the the movie version came out this year, even though the, the Broadway play's been going for a while. But um, uh, uh, part part of this, I'll admit, is just kind of like there's not a lot of movies that came out this year that I can talk about. And uh, I think I think Tenet was f- Tenet. We we should talk about it at some point whenever you get around to seeing it. Um, but uh, there's one mo- there's one thing I saw this year that has kind of dominated my. Uh, my earworms, uh, you know, like what what has been playing in my head? What have I been listening to? And that's that's the Hamilton soundtrack, um, and it's super well done. Uh, we t- we talked about the things that we variously had problems with it, but it's still um, a very cool piece of Americana, I guess is the way to put it. Um, mm. uh, an interesting kind of take on the American myth, um, in in a, in a in a in a lot of cool ways, actually. Like it's it's. Uh, it's it's got a lot there um and you know compare it to what was what, 1776 the other movie we watched to pair with it yes or, we watched 1776 with it oh my god yeah which is uh, you know and you know that movie was also not super accurate but it was it was it was interesting in its own ways but um uh, i just like hamilton's kind of uh 
just just all all the parts of it kind of like um and maybe this is just new to me but like i'm i've not seen a lot of uh broadway plays where like uh in kind of like that that style where like the musicals i'm used to are kind of a little bit more of the classical style right like you know uh you know the music man or annie or something like that like there's a certain amount of verisimilitude to the to the proceedings right Hamilton is very like metaphorical. It yeah. wants to show you a couple of people with red coats and you get the sense there's an army there. Whereas Annie always has developments like that happening. Oh, like this just this is just off stage, right? Yeah. We're in we are in the place that we are in. Yeah, I get I, that for sure. I mean, and part I mean part of that too what I'm getting at is is also like, you know, it's you know, uh like um it's not classical music, but like the musicals I'm I'm used to are like this kind of like mid-century american sound right like you know like like band, like th something that like you know oh like yeah like a big band musical Definitely, yeah big right? band Literally. big band that's that's what i'm that's what yeah. i'm looking for mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you know and you know uh hamilton's very hip-hop inspired um which is uh uh you know something something that i, I you know I, I hadn't seen a lot of and you know i've seen i've seen some other jukebox musicals but um uh no, i thought hamilton uh did it best at least for the things for this year so yeah um, uh, pushing it into the next category, which will be for me. And I'm going to say best new entry in a series. I'm going to give that to Crusader Kings three. Um, part of my inspiration, uh, for, for picking this topic is, um, beyond being an excellent game, which Crusader Kings three is, it was in kind of like my personal running for a uh, game of the year. Um, is that, um, as a sequel, right? Like, 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 uh, it does a lot of things right. right? It takes a lot of what was cool and great about Crusader Kings Two and expands upon it and makes it better. And also does a lot of things to kind of make the gaming experience better, right? Crusader Kings Three is an infinitely more approachable game than Crusader Kings Two, and I think that's really um, a triumph, uh, kind of of bringing like Crusader Kings Two kind of has like this meme status is like the the the, the um, I think one of the so one of one of the categories that um. Crusader Kings Three is up for in uh in the Steam Awards is best game you suck at, um, and Crusader Kings Two has a lot of that, but a lot of that just kind of rides on the fact that it's inscrutable, um, right? Like you don't understand how things work, um, uh, you kind of have to watch like ten hours of video tutorials to really understand. It. Crusader Kings Three strips a lot of that away. Uh, it's much easier to step up and kind of like look at what's happening, understand what's happening. It also does a lot of kind of I'm gonna call quality of life, although it's not quite right. A lot of things that were in Crusader Kings Two were like you know, oh, there's like a 15% chance of this happening any given year, and it's like, well, that could be a year, that could be, you know, 30 um, in game. Whereas uh, in this version, they've kind of like amortized that out a bit, right? It's like, well, if it's a 15% chance, it'll probably like in instead of being a 50% chance, it'll be what well, that's like on average like seven years or whatever they'll just say it takes seven years and then like you might get an event that speeds it up or an event that slows it down which i think is a much better way to do things um on top of that it's got some nice graphical upgrades um it's got it's it's uh uh also something that it did that i want to highlight is it is while it did take some features out of like there aren't all the features that were in crusader kings 2 it did leave a lot in so a lot of kind of the stuff that we got in like you know paradox is kind of legendary for the amount of dlc they'll put into a game um, but, uh, Crusader Kings three did not take absolutely everything out. It left a lot of kind of like, uh, some of like the religious stuff and some of kind of like the, the basic uh, ways to interact with things that we had, that we had gotten used to from Crusader Kings two survived the, uh, uh, survived the transfer to Crusader Kings three. And I think, and so I think that's, uh, very, excuse me. Um, uh, 
that was just really well done. So yeah, I'm going to give it to uh, I'm going to give best uh, new entry in a series to Crusader Kings three. Okay, uh, I guess I will take this a little at its word. Um, for me, the best new entry in a series this year is uh, the fifth season of Better Call Saul, which came mm. out earlier this year, and we talked about it on this podcast, right? I have long been of the opinion Better Call Saul is the best television that you can watch right now, right? It is the best show on television. It has been the best show on television since its first season, right? Um, and uh, it constantly, always, always surprises me how how compelling i find um you know like the drama and what takes place over the course of any individual episode both from uh sort of like an individual character level um and on a kind of like a wider more kind of grand and thematic level in in a in a way i felt like breaking bad was kind of asking these like big questions about morality in sort of broad terms whereas what i love about better call saul is it is it gets so like individually specific and in the ways that it challenges its characters in those individually specific ways right so for instance um mike's behavior over the course of the series right as he sort of descends into as a cop right who is descending deeper and deeper into kind of like a criminal life and the things that he does and the reason that he does them you can tell that he thinks that he's doing the right thing he does these things because they are good right um but what that good means is kind of like whittled away and chipped at and tested. And sometimes he withstands the test and sometimes he kind of, you know, fails. Famously, at the end of the fourth season, right, um, spoilers are a little bit, uh, he commits his first, you know, like murder for hire murder. And it's because he was put with two principles up against one another, right? Is his will to finish the job, to do the job that he was hired to do, greater than his will to not kill someone. We've seen him go through these elaborate lengths, right, to avoid killing someone before. And now it is quite simply his duty to kill that person. And that and that question is just like so compelling to me. In the fifth season, obviously, that question revolves quite a lot around Saul. Saul is someone that he kind of up brought into this world and he has this responsibility for Saul for Jimmy you know however you want to look at it um for him being that that close to all of this stuff and so all of the, those questions are now kind of like bringing these two central characters which have sort of acted a little bit of, as kind of like binary nodes right you kind of have Mike's story on this side Saul's story on this side they're not touching a lot you know but but they but they do interact or whatever um this is the season where they really comes to head because now Mike is clearly capable. He is he is in the major leagues, right? He is batting a thousand and doing really well for himself. Saul has been dragged up into that level by Mike to a certain extent. And now you have this responsibility and now he has this responsibility on his shoulders. How is he going to handle and deal with right that responsibility which kind of comes to a head um in the way that it uh that the the season sort of culminates with like i would say climactic episode of them being lost in the desert even if it is not technically the climax or the climactic episode um as always uh ray seahorn on the other on the opposite end right does a fantastic job probably the best actor on television i would say um i think that she embodies kim in a way that i haven't 
sort of like seen a character go that deep since like maybe early Game of Thrones uh, where like Peter Dinklage, like I kind of think Peter Dinklage sort of fell off a little bit over the course of Game of Thrones run, but um, I don't know. It's just like, she's, she's amazing at it. She's so good. So I think that that show is so good and it is the latest episode, or I'm sorry, it's the latest entry in the long running series. So I guess that would be uh, my answer, which puts me in a little bit of an awkward question because I was going to ask like best TV series. Um, but now I can't because that would have been Better Call Saul. How about this? Um, best TV that you watched this year, right? Uh, and for me, I just want to take a second to sort of highlight The Sopranos. Uh, I've talked about it a little bit, and I do think that we should do a cast on, a, cast on it a little bit later down the line. Um, but I've done a lot over the course of the last two years to sort of like build up my bona fides in a way where I want to go back and sort of see like what are the what are, what TV are people saying is the most important? Like what should I be keeping up with? Right. Um, there's the very current answers to that question, which is stuff like, um, you know, uh the Mandalorian or the boys, right. Which are shows that are coming out kind of like right now. Uh, but I think the, the foundation of a lot of this stuff can be seen in those early HBO shows uh, of which I watched sex in the city, which is a thing. And, um, and of course the Sopranos, the Sopranos really surprised me. I was expecting it to be a little bit more grim, a little bit more. Well, actually grim is the wrong word. It is bleak. That is a mean show with, it thinks very little of, people and humanity right um but what i expected was sort of like a mob show right in the vein of better call saul or breaking bad where the core drama is about this life of crime right that tony soprano is leaving but frankly that's very rarely the case the core drama in most episodes is very character driven it's very family driven um where you know it sort of feels like skylar is sort of the perpetual b plot right skylar and you know, <clears throat> Walter Jr. in in uh, Breaking Bad are sort of like the B-pot plot compared to Walter and Gus, for instance, right? Um, in this one, Tony's fam family really is the A-plot almost entirely all the way through the series. Um, it does a really great job of showing events in a way that is both plausible and surprising in... In, in, it's, it's kind of hard to explain without like actually getting into the details. There's a number of like moments where I was really expecting the show to zig and it zagged, right? And it had a real understanding of audience expectations in that in that sense. And even though it kept hitting me with these kind of like anticlimaxes, I almost always came away from them saying like, you know what? I think that's a better version of events than the version that I was expecting, right? I was expecting this to be a shootout, and it turns out. It wasn't. Um, and that was just really, that was just like really satisfying. That's just really interesting. The Sopranos absolutely shows its age. I think it is worse than these, these shows that are, that are better, cleaner, slicker, more, more sort of like tense and dramatic. But um, as a, as a kind of iconic entry, you can really see that it is the building block on which a lot of these other sorts of things follow in its footsteps. So that's it. That's my, that's my favorite show that I saw this year. Yep. I mean, I'm going to have to give it to Saul because um, it might be like it definitely deserves it, but it might be the only show I've seen this year. Did Watchmen come out this year? Um, mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, it's not going to Watchmen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we ended pretty sourly on Watchmen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, so you haven't seen the new Sopranos? Or I'm sorry, the new Mandalorian. No, I have not. Um, okay. I don't watch a lot of uh, a lot of television. I also don't like. Fair I, enough. Yeah. Oh, um, we also never did the the Boku no Hero Academia season, yeah, which I, I assume it, has ended by now. It might still be on. Like anime's weird, so you know. Yeah, we, we, that's true. Uh, and we never we never did any of the shows that you wanted to do. Uh, which is, oh yeah, uh, we do. We owe a Young Justice episode because we did Boku no Hero, yeah. and I wanted to compare it to Young Justice, and then yeah. we never got around to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it took us a year to get to to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So you know. <laughs> that's next year, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, for all the reasons you said, right? Better Call Saul is fantastic. I think Bob Odenkirk is a great actor. I'm looking forward. To, he's got a new movie coming out, doesn't he? Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think that just kind of like. Um, so the, the other side of this, right, is like uh, for me is like I re- like I wasn't really in kind of the fifth season, um, but uh, Saul and uh, Charlie's relationship is something that really spoke to me. Um, uh, just like the, the brother stuff. I also think that um, like from like legal stuff isn't super for- forefronted, but it's something that's personally interesting to me. Um, it's a good lawyer show um, from all the lawyers that I, I have heard talk about it is, you know, it is. uh um, uh, it is a more true to form lawyer show than I feel like so many of these yeah. lawyer shows are. Like I, I think it was legally we talked about this. Like the first episode of Better Call Saul, focusing on him as a public defender, is no one, no one shows that stuff. But like that is absolutely what it is like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's I think I think that's part of it, right? Like it is a very gritty kind of like show about bad people, and you know, public defenders often get like are often not, you know they are overstressed and under-resourced right yep. and you know and you know there's there's a little bit of kind of like crapping on them right the guys who are actually public defenders like that i, I don't know is his name ned yeah i feel like his name wants to be ned the, the the public defender that he always interacts with oh he's not a public defender he's a he's a da oh you're right he's, he's like the DA. one he's the one da and he, he always bribes him with food i love that guy and what a what a great name for him ned absolutely perfect name <laughs> uh, yeah but uh but yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to Better Call Saul. Um, I I don't have a lot to say about it, uh, or a lot more to, to add to it since you talked about it so convincingly. Um, Fair enough. Although uh, you know, chat asks uh, you know that it, it's not Yu Gi Oh, but uh, you know it's uh, okay. I have been really enjoying. We'll, we'll talk about this in the back half of the sh- of the show. I have really been enjoying Yu Gi Oh, and I have lots of thoughts about Yu Gi Oh that. I have thoughts about you. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> All right. Um, and so, okay. So next category, um, more kind of visual media, uh, best YouTube essayist. And I'm going to give it to uh, Action Button Reviews slash Tim Rogers. Um, you know, uh, it's, he, I've talked about this before. I've gushed about him before, right? Like uh, he did like a three hour Doom review and a three hour, um, what was this? The this, this second one he did. Um that I watched Pac-Man, uh, uh, Pac-Man review. Um, and it's, uh, and, uh, most recently, and this is, this dropped like three days ago, maybe he did a six hour review of Toka, Tokomeki Memorial, which is a game that I didn't know about before I saw it, which is, is a dating sim by Konami. Um, and the way he puts it is like, it is, it wasn't the first dating sim, but it's the one that kind of like defined it as a genre in the same kind of way that like Super Mario Brothers wasn't, the first platformer but it's the one that kind of defined it as a genre mm-hmm. um he just goes into an insane amount of detail that the part of the reason why that that one's six hours is because he has two 
not moment by moment playthroughs, but like two basically full playthroughs in it, on which comprised his first and his 14th playthrough of it. Um, his dedication to his craft is just so exceptional. He like plays like he puts hours and hours and hours into playing all the variations of the game. I think for the Doom one, he played like he played for at least a little while every version of Doom that he could get his hands on. Um, and uh, uh, he just he so any other YouTube SES, at least ones that I'm familiar with, would take one aspect of what he does and do it and do it really well and do it in like half an hour. But he does all of them over three hours, right? And what I mean by this is like he'll talk about the cultural moment that the game belongs in. He'll talk about um, what its lasting effects on games in the future were, right? Like he'll talk about like, you know, how you can see pieces of it in other ways. He'll talk about the industry stuff around it, right? Like um, Iga, who is most famous for, for doing uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, did writing on Tokomeki Memorial. He'll talk about um, kind of the, the, the mechanics of the game and why like why they work well right like which is like something that you expect from say like game a uh, game makers toolkit um and then he'll uh then he'll also talk about like the deeper kind of uh uh like literary analysis types of like this is the kind of stuff that that we that we do sometimes right like the, the kind of like like what is the kind of true meaning of this like what is kind of the 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 uh, message that you can pull from the from the mechanics of the game as well as is kind of the the story of the game or like you know what, what's relevant there so um and they're just so jam-packed and they're so well done right like he i think he filmed uh i know he filmed some of his segments on like red cam right like it's got like super high production value um he's got a kind of very melodic um uh way of speaking that kind of just does uh, that grabs you or at least grabs me right and like you know it's it's uh it's all it's it's entertaining as well so uh you know uh that's been some of the best time i've spent this year uh is is watching uh the action button review stuff so i uh, need to watch it you linked me the six hour action button reviews yeah. for tokomeki memorial and i i have yet to watch it but i really want to for me this goes to and i have advocated that we do a series uh, an episode on this so i get the time sort of pass a little bit uh patrick h willems um which i feel really glad I, I get to kind of highlight this patrick h willems is a youtube content creator who started out doing like he's like a true director who's doing like um fan videos he did like uh what if wes morrison did the x-men right it's like a like a parody kind of video or whatever and he made one video essay like four years ago that blew up right three million views overnight kind of thing um ever since then he more or less transitioned his channel into a video essayist channel but like he also has included this overarching narrative where like there's sort of a narrative framing device at the beginning and end of each episode of who he's talking to where you know like what he's doing and a lot of the times that framing device is sort of like a reflection on the episode itself so for instance the framing device for um an episode about music biopics which we've talked about in the past we talked about walk hard recently right um in that episode the framing device is that is patrick follows the music biopic formula but as like a youtube video essayist right so he starts taking drugs and like staying up and editing youtube videos and then he goes to rehab for for the drugs that he took to edit the like the youtube videos that kind of thing in the middle of this year patrick had a run where basically he went to his parents house over over like one weekend 
brought like a like a small suitcase and over that weekend new york city's lockdown went into effect right for quarantine and he was like well i'm already at my parents house i guess i should just stay here and he stayed there for the next five months and during that time he, he the videos that he created were all part of the talk show format where every episode was he showed up he had a he like he was standing behind a desk and he, it was as if he was doing a talk show the talk show always had a different name or whatever right um and you know he had a he had like a backdrop that was like a canvas of like new york city but it would like fall down and stuff that first the desk he was at was actually just a dresser so his legs didn't really like fit under it and you can kind of see like over time it sort of like evolved and the talk show series of episodes are insanely funny insanely insightful just like an absolute ride um culminating in what i would say to be the turner uh the tcm wine club episode where he orders like the tcm wine club package which is like an 800 a month uh subscription service where you watch like classic movies and also drink the wine that they have paired with those you know, like with those classic movies and you just like watch as he slowly and obviously it's all it's all pretend right like yeah. it's not actually getting like sloshed or whatever um but as like the weight of quarantine is sort of like brutalizing him he's drinking more and more and watching these classic movies and the best thing is that the very end of the uh of the talk show he does an episode on time loop movies right so uh palm spring is one that came out this year groundhog day is the very famous time loop movie uh there's a bunch of these right where where people um edge of tomorrow right is the is kind of the action movie version of this where people re-experience the same events in a time loop over and over again where he time loops himself in the talk show going through the different iterations of the talk show and just like that chunk of time is the most it's like the best video essay that ever video essayed as far as i'm concerned right um where it packs uh you know profundity and insight uh it's funny and really compelling and the way that it like links episode to episode with kind of this continuity um i don't know it just feels great it just feels like great to watch and i think you know he really hit it out of the park which i feel good about because like you know i may not have watched a ton of tv i may not have watched a ton of movies i i didn't play a ton of games right um but i did consume a lot of youtube media and the the top among i, I am very confident in saying that yes in fact the top among them was patrick h williams good job you nailed it awesome well okay. i believe it's your category uh, yeah it is my category uh and i was gonna do that one so i gotta think okay here's here's one okay what is your favorite specific like gaming moment not like an overarching moment right um but like something that you like you did or you figured out or you executed on in a mechanics way or maybe maybe like a story way um that you just found to be sort of like endlessly satisfying and and fun um this is an easy one for me because it has essentially just happened um but i want to talk about it because you know this is this is the world we live in i have a podcast i get to talk about this stuff okay so in world of warcraft my spec plays in a, like a particular way and i've played a lot of iterations of this spec i've been playing arms warrior since 2010 since actually longer than that since 2008 so since wrath of the lich king dropped 
I've been playing Arms Warrior more or less off and on. Um, but every single expansion, I, I have I have touched the class and I've really gotten into sort of like what it is and how it works, right? And one of the things that we talked about in in you know kind of earlier episodes was this whole fear of like covenant. You know, which Covenant is best, which Covenant is worth. Well, it turns out the Covenant that I went on Baron, Necrolords, is the worst Covenant for a for a warrior, right? Um, most warriors are going Venthyr because the, the ability Condemn replaces Execute. You just have more Execute uptime. You're doing crazy Execute things. You know, it's very fun. It's very satisfying. I played with Execute for a, a, a while. I have a warrior that does have Condemn, and it is a legitimately amazing ability that is incredibly fun to play with. Um, but so here I am. I'm on Baron, and I am, I am using Conqueror's Banner, right, which is a three-minute cooldown which is a pretty hefty cooldown, and it is like a group buff. It gives everybody 20% health, it gives everybody, or it gives two other people 20% health, and it gives two other people um, a 10% extra critical strike chance. Uh, the thing that satisfies me about all of this is that even though I have, like, the worst Covenant, even though I'm not playing the meta build, which right now is, um, uh, like, Dreadnought, it... it relies on using an ability called overpower um i've found a way to be very successful with my like necrolords arms warriors where i'm putting out not only like very good damage but like high level high parsing you know damage right and so it has kind of revealed to me that some of the things that we've talked about when it comes to sort of like balance or whatever there is a real difference between optimization and viability right um, and that if you don't go the, the recommended route, if you go this other route, you do have real paths to success, right? And you have real paths to be putting out kind of like aggressively good numbers. Something that I did early in the expansion was I decided I'm not going to go this, this Dreadnought build because when I plant Conqueror's Banner, right, I want to be spending rage on my abilities. So I should be going Ravager, which allows me to place down like an axe or whatever that like spins and generates rage, rather than going into Bladestorm for six seconds where I'm not doing anything but Bladestorming, right? The my insight to saying like, oh, actually, this is the way that I should approach the character. I should I should make this decision. Even though it's not the optimal decision, most warriors aren't going Ravager. Um it has it like turns out to have the same effect and that feeling i have no other way to describe that feeling than it that just like an intense like existential satisfaction right <laughs> that i was able to sort of like warp the mechanics of this game in my favor and come out with like not just uh, an okay result but a truly very good result like a really spectacular result um more or less kind of on my own and with my own uh and with my own sort of like insights um so i wanted to describe that feeling what is what is something that explains that feeling for you in 2020 so this this is tough because you know i like i i i know that feeling right like that's like that's that's like every time i played a you know off meta pick in league of legends and won with it right like that that's exactly <laughs> that feeling right like mm-hmm. um i don't know if i have a super good moment for that this year because there's just like not like in terms of that specific feeling of like kind of doing what you want instead of like what you're supposed to do i just haven't had a a ton of opportunity to to play with that um uh, kind of this uh, this year, um, at least kind of in, in the games that I've I've played. Um, but I will say the thing, uh, a, a kind of thing that's uh, like a very satisfying moment for me 
um, was uh, was Enter the Gungeon was finally um, after. Let me let me check my time plan on this because it's it's way too long for how long it took me to. But I, I have <laughs> 122 hours in that game, and I finally beat it um, with the pilot for the first time. And that's just kind of like you know I've been playing it over and over. It was for a long time my go-to kind of. Um, you know, my, my, my go-to kind of, uh, you know, listen to while playing, while playing, or listen to a podcast while playing a game type of game. Um, and just, the, it just worked, like, it was just, like, so satisfying to kind of hit that moment and uh, finally beat it out and finally, you know, um, I don't I, I don't think I've played it since. And, then, you know, I thought at some point I would go back and play the other game. I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm good for now. And it, it's interesting because it, it was so tough for me to get to that point, right? Like, you know, there have been other excellent roguelikes that I've played this year. Hades, gone viral. Um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, I played. I played another one this year as well. Uh, Neon something. Neon Abyss. Yeah, Neon Abyss. There we go. That's yep. that's what it was. Um, and they were all super fun, but they weren't as difficult. And so, like, and I think in a, like you know, like Hades, you're supposed to beat a bunch of times. Um, uh, gone viral i haven't played the latest stuff yet and so when i was playing it was still kind of um uh it still wasn't super hard to get to the very end state and i you know yeah you were in the beta right yeah I, was, played I, early I played a little i've played a little bit of early access but i haven't gotten to the to the end yet um uh so i can't but like beating the beta and beating hades and uh the way neonibus is set up is it's like a series of bosses um uh uh have not felt the same. And it is interesting. This is interesting thing where like, um, this is true for gone viral. Uh, like, like for, for Hades, the issue was that like, you know, you're meant to beat a bunch of times for gone viral, what I've played of it. And for neon abyss, when me winning felt much more like I happened upon the right lucky combination of things to make the game basically trivial. Whereas Gungeon never got that. Like there, I've had, runs where like you know um uh, things were easier but i never got to the point where i thought like you know like this this is like this is trivial and i just you know need to like walk in the room and, and press the button which is kind of a very hard balance to strike um with uh with, with roguelike so I, I like uh you're all like that's kind of a thing you want to happen some percentage of the time is to get like a really kind of stellar run but making it too easy i think like undercuts the mechanics so it's tough to do so uh, you know, I've talked about Enter the Gungeon a bunch on the podcast, but, you know, finally getting to the end and beating, uh, shooting the past um, is the, the, the basic plot of the game is you are you are you are going into a gun based dungeon and you are attempting to find the gun that can shoot the past. And then you have to do some stuff to make that work. Um, and it involves going back to the characters like past right before they get locked in the gungeon and fixing what happened there. Um and so you know that was just super it was just super satisfying. So that that's my uh, nomination for that. Um, I think we've got time for maybe uh, one more. Um, uh, and there, so here's an issue. So do we have people in the chat? People in the chat, if you're there, do you guys want to? Do you want to ask us? Do you want to give us a category? Yeah, yeah. If you if you got something. um something, I'll shout out that I can't I can't really put this in a category because like. It's not going to, like, you're not, you have used, like, so I I just wanted to give a shout out to Foundry Virtual Tabletop as being the best piece of tabletop 
software that I've used. I feel like you've only used Roll20, so I don't want to be like, yeah, talk about Roll20. I have really. never, yeah. It's yeah. only Roll20 for me. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, it's got a lot of cool tools that let you kind of like, it's, so Roll20 is a little bit too loose, I think. Um, mm. And uh, and uh, I've also used um, Fantasy Grounds, which is nice, but not quite there. Um, and Astral Tabletop. Um, Foundry Virtual Tabletop is the first game piece of software i've used that like really feels like it's almost like it's not quite there but it's almost at that point where like you know essentially there's like no friction on the uh uh on on the gm stuff not that i've done a lot of gming stuff but the stuff i've played on it really just kind of like it just kind of works um Mm -hmm. and it's almost there um i think i my my personal belief is that no one uh uh, no one's made a, a product to just do a game like a tabletop game like a particular one, like no one's made the D and D client and no one's made the Pathfinder client. Cause everybody wants to do the generalized tabletop client. And I think, I think when somebody like, at least for like the bigger games, like you should just do those. And uh, that yeah. would lead to the best thing, but you know, we're not there yet. Yeah. I, I like, I do have some thoughts. Like some, I, I read a Twitter thread the other day where essentially a game designer, like a UX designer was talking about world 20, where he was talking about how amazed he was at the endless, sort of functionality of roll 20 like roll 20 just does it all it has so much you can do as soon as you start getting into scripts right like it's just like insane but it has some of like the worst ui and ux out there uh kind of imaginable which i think is very fair i think world 20 is maybe the most hostile platform i have just like ever used as a as a user um which you know, I mean, obviously they're a, they're a small startup. Uh, I can't give them too much flack for that, but I definitely understand why. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be working out the way that you think, uh, or like that your your other experience would be better. Is what I mean to say. Yeah, uh, but like plus, like you know, there's just little things too, right? Like roll twenty, you know, like things that don't really matter, but like you might want right like you know like nice dice rolling animations or whatever right like i don't really need that but it's a nice touch right like this is like you know the corners on a macbook or whatever right like i think that i don't really care about but all else being equal they can you know the the little little touches can make the difference um yeah uh yeah uh oh ah we've got a we've got a topic suggestion from aluria uh Biggest defied expectation for a game slash movie slash show, as in something you thought you'd like but you didn't, but didn't, or something you didn't expect to like but did. You you have uh, do you have an idea for this? You know, man, this one's hard. I do have a couple thoughts in here. I'm trying to think what I would think. Uh, you know what? Okay, I will give it to the boys which I recently watched. I'm not going to spoil here. And I do think this is something we might want to cover on the cast a little bit later down the line. The way that the boys gets talked about in the popular cultural consciousness um, is on the level of something like the Watchmen show, right? Which, you know, I, I ultimately didn't like the place that the Watchmen show ended. I thought it really muddled this message with the ending and got a little bit too in its own head about some of these things. But ultimately, right, like, it was a decent try. It was a good at bat, you know, it got, it was, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, it's like a good base hit, not a home run, not a grand slam, right? But a good solid base hit of a, of, of a show. Maybe I'll watch it again. See, see what I think about it in a couple of years, but ultimately it's like, you tried kind of missed the landing. Wasn't 
quite for me, but fair enough sort of thing. Um, the boys gets talked about in that level of show, right? In the same level of show that kind of, you know, like that, that we would think of prestige TV being in, right? Better Call Saul is in there, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, you know, Game of Thrones, obviously, um, though the ending marks, that just makes it, that whole discussion very, very difficult. The boys does not belong in that category. I was really expecting more from the boys. I knew of the comic, and I was very well acquainted with the comic in a, in a general sense, but I never read it. And the thing that people had always said about the comic was like, oh, this is actually like a lot deeper and more complex than 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 you think. The boys is really not that deep. It really does not have that much on its mind. Um, I told a friend the other day, do you remember the old like there's a there's a like an internet meme called the Smurfs Lost episode where whatever the girl Smurf's name is. Smurfette. Um Smur yeah, where Smurfette says to Papa Smurf, Papa Smurf, can I lick your ass? And then they do like a whole song about it, which is like, Papa Smurf, can I lick your ass? Yeah, lick my ass, bitch. And that's it. That's the whole thing. Over and over and over again. It was like on Newgrounds or like E-Bombs World or something like that. In middle school, I thought this was the pinnacle of comedy. <laughs> and if you break down what that joke is, it's very simple. Here is a beloved, wholesome childhood thing. Let's make them do something heinous and filthy, essentially. <laughs> The boys is just that. It really is. It is that, but for Superman and the Justice League, basically. It's what if superheroes said fuck? What if superheroes killed guys? And it's just like, you know, in a world where there is legitimately really interesting and really kind of compelling sort of um, subversive materials for like the superhero shows, superhero universes or whatever else, where you have stuff like Watchmen, um, which even though it doesn't stick the landing, at least it does have like a real point of view. As far as I can tell, the boys really doesn't have much more on its mind than what if Superman was was bad was a real bad guy he was bad guy bad you know and oh I, I that's okay it's very it's a very compelling show i i would even say it's a good show i did have a good time watching it but i had a good time watching it because i was compelled by its plot mechanics because i wanted to see where the story was going next i was never ever interested in anything more deeper like more deep than that and i just don't think the show had anything deeper than that to offer so that was a big letdown i guess and a big sort of defiance of my expectations based on how the the overall world talks about the show and and was engaging with the show um so that that's what i would give that award to what about you okay so this is this is a little different but uh um so this this is going to be about my fourth i think fourth attempt to get into final fantasy 14 which i stuck <laughs> with for a while and you that's know true. um and you know like so the thing I had thought to myself at the, at the time was like, you know, I'm going to, you know, a while ago I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't play WoW anymore. I'm going to try and get it to Final Fantasy XIV. It's prettier. Uh, it's, you know, more recent. It's got a better story by all accounts, uh, you know. And so I, I, and, you know, I like the crafting a lot better in Final Fantasy XIV because there's something to it, right? Like, you know, for all WoW is, it's got, I mean, there's nothing to the crafting mechanics really, right? Like they just kind of like, you know, gather thing put together. Um and so I, I played it for a while. I think the story is, be, like, uh, so 
I'm not going to say the story is kind of better from like an all encompassing point, but like, I think it's just better executed in a lot of ways, right? Like there's, there's, there's more of it. It's a more kind of driving thing. More of it's kind of told in uh kind of, I'm not going to say like high, high production because some of them are just kind of like in engine cutscenes, but like the uh kind of the, what, what happens with the, with kind of the Sultana in the transition between, uh, realm reborn and heaven's word i thought was fantastic right i really loved it when it comes down to it though i don't like the rotations like i just don't like i <laughs> like i was like you know i was hoping i would get into it with the gunner but i don't like the way it feels um even the the bard which i was playing beforehand i was always kind of like it was always kind of like well once i get the gunner i'll like that and it's just like it doesn't feel nearly as good as wow does and that is so important in an MMO, right? Like when, when 90% of what you're doing is kind of like, you know, playing your kind of key, you know, like playing your, your keyboard, right? Like, you know, like, you know, hitting the buttons in rhythm and order, like it has to feel good. And it, wow, nothing can touch wow, at least for tab targeted MMOs that I've, that I've played. Um, you know, uh, it's just, it, it is amazing to me that like that, that can, that makes the difference. You know, I've like, you know, it's, it's it's kind of depressing, honestly, because you know I, I I came crawling back to WoW eventually, right? Like, and you know what? It feels fucking great to play, right? Like, you know, like, I get that though. I absolutely do. I mean, even like I I stick up for the WoW story quite a lot, and I do think that it is like good or whatever. But I I haven't even played the Final Fantasy story, and I'm just willing to take people at their words that it's better. I think the WoW story suffers for a lot of different reasons. Chief among them is sort of a spoiler culture. Um, this is you know. So many of us who are like hardcore WoW people get our news from data mined cinematics that go up on WoWhead six weeks before we unlock the quest and all, do all of the context to that cinematic. And we all sort of are constantly on that drip of what is the next, you're like, whoa, oh, this costume came out and this, and this thing happened or whatever. That it's just like, I find it hard to get sort of just into the world in in that sort of way um and that's just like an endemic problem to the systemization of how they put shit up on the fucking pbr you know it has nothing to do with this like there are very talented writers who are doing great stuff on wow obviously um it just feels like it's constantly ruined because i read broadcast text that's like out of com uh, context that suggests that certain things and when i hit those moments in game they can just like fall very uh they can just like fall very flat i would highly recommend anyone listening to this and anyone out there ever try your very best not to listen to those fucking spoilers because it, it just really sucks um but yeah i definitely know what you mean when it comes to like the rotation with wow i had this problem with guild wars 2 which to be fair i tried this long time ago and i never got very deep into it at all um so this is really not a representative take but it's just to you know as a as a kind of mirror um something that i really appreciate about wow at its highest end is you are not thinking you are kind of encouraged to think in longer more strategic stretches than not so for instance um you know in one of the boss fights sludge fist he like slams into a pillar and he gets he takes 100% extra damage for 10 seconds or something like that right and when you're playing wow at its best level you are reacting to those sorts of things and trying to filter that timing into the way that you are 
planning and playing your rotation, right? So for me, that like looks like, well, I'm gonna hold my big burst window, right? Conqueror's Banner, Avatar, Bladesword, all this stuff, right? For when for when he does that, and I'm going to hope I get another version of that window three minutes from now, right? So if the fight lasts for four minutes and 20 seconds, right? I will get two full high cooldown windows, right? If the fight only lasts three minutes, then I'm actually fucking myself up because I could have an opening window and I could have a closing window, if that, if that makes sense. And those sorts of decisions, when you're making those sorts of high-level decisions, when you're in a Mythic Plus dungeon, you're like, should I drop my banner now on this trash pack or do I save it because the pack after this pack is the boss and I know that it probably won't be up for the boss and I want to have it on pull for the boss? Like, those are the decisions that I find most tactically and sort of like strategically engaging outside of just like the, the second to second sort of um, like rotational stuff. And I think that like that's where like WoW truly, truly shines. And I really haven't seen very many games that sort of like rival that um, sort of like elongated, it's almost like an endurance thing, right? It is asking you to play at your best and make the best possible decisions it over the course of a five minute or thirty minute window, forty minute window if you're doing like mythics or something kind of along those lines. Um, which I which I just find like very uh, I just find like very engaging. Whereas something like League of Legends, right? Like League of Legends is highly engaging for bursts of time. Like for thirty seconds, right? I'm incredibly incredibly on. But when I'm running back from base, you know, like that's not that's not super impactful i don't know that's my thoughts on that yeah so yeah absolutely well uh, with that i think we're we're gonna bring a th thank you for that suggestion uh that was a Aloria. great question yeah. that was an absolutely amazing question um but uh yeah uh i think that'll bring an end to the derpies uh how were your past two weeks i guess how were my past two weeks okay well so i obviously watched the boys which i talked about a little bit uh really empty but very compelling i I went to bed and I woke up and the first thing I did was I was like, I have to finish this show. I have to keep watching this show, um, which is a rare feeling for me. You know, even on shows that I find like very like good, uh, like so this also happened to me for Cobra Kai, which I thought was 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 very good um, and really compelling. That had a lot of like drama that got me super invested in what was kind of like coming next. Um, uh, the boys might be the best at that, you know, at that feeling of just like I have to see what comes next um so you know good show uh though i will say it is it was rough going from finishing the sopranos which is great by the way um everything people say about that ending is really interesting and i love the 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 sopranos ending is like one of those famous endings it's like really um uh like yeah, controversial or whatever yeah um and i just think it's really smart it's really deep there's like a lot of levels i feel like we could have an entire podcast where we just talk about the ending and sort of like the different interpretations of what that ending means and how you can kind of like look at it and approach it and stuff like that uh but going from the sopranos which is you know very bleak tv right like the the sopranos i feel like is not quite a show about like straight ethics in the way that like breaking bad is Every, you know like the breaking bad story is the descent story of like watch someone descend into evil and in a certain sense that's kind of what the sopranos is like it is a show about evil in that same kind of like vain but it is much more about like the compromises the bargains the deals with the devil that people strike over and over and over again right where you know you are watching people who would otherwise who are otherwise trying their best and trying to like do their best and like giving into their sort of like lesser impulses their their sort of their demons right and eventually you know they 
each end up paying paying the price for it in their own very way. Sometimes it's in these poetic ways, in these like narrative satisf- narratively like satisfying ways. Sometimes it's kind of in off the wall sort of ways. Sometimes you know characters are really used as um, as kind of plot props, which I don't love, but you know it's it's okay. Um, and man, it is it is tough to watch that and then to watch the boys because the boys is also very bleak the boys is more or less a show that kind of says like yeah there's no such thing as superheroes we're all like selfish assholes at at heart and everyone's just lying and trying to like get ahead which like you know i'm a like i'm a comic book guy i'm a superheroes guy i do think that people are at their heart good right you know and trying their best and um and even though like bad shit happens bad shit happens all the time bad shit happens when people have great intentions or whatever right like i i really really balk at those incredibly sort of like cynical worldviews and so both the sopranos and the boys had them and i happened to just like watch them like really like back to back and i was like legitimately sort of like feeling that depression so i watched Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I started watching Yu-Gi-Oh! And then telling, and then I was like in voice with people where we're watching, where where I was telling them I was watching Yu-Gi-Oh! And then I just started streaming Yu-Gi-Oh! And now we're all just watching Yu-Gi-Oh! every night where we're like doing like world quests or whatever. Um, we got through the whole first arc, which was super funny because like I'm obviously a very, a very uh, kind of storied card player my friend Phalanor is a very storied card player um uh my friend Amelin used to work at a card shop administering like these tournaments and shit like that so they are uh you know a very experienced in all of this sort of thing and so it's just like always fun to like watch Yu-Gi-Oh which is built on more sort of um I guess I would call it like kind of like fundamentalist narrative drama where people are pulling rabbits out of the hat right and you're constantly explaining what you're doing so it just doesn't recognize it just doesn't look like a card tournament at all but there's just like a certain aesthetic parody that is funny to people watch it like watching Yu-Gi-Oh and be like man if this could you imagine this happening in a real tournament you know you're playing you're playing a card game against the creator of the game and he pulls out a card and he says I designed this card just for this match (laughs) obviously that's like ridiculous but man it is just man I would I would I would would love to see like a magic tournament where Mark Rosewater comes up and it's like fuck you (laughs) right like constantly does this thing where the mechanics of the game are dictated by like logic in the real world right so for instance um yugi faces mako tsunami where he plays a full moon magic card which causes a moon to spawn which causes the tide to rise and then yugi destroys the full moon which causes the tide to recede and like fuck over all of like mako's it's like that's out of the fucking card text, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the 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 fact that um, the fact that like the dual monsters card game is technically speaking an interpretation of this ancient Egyptian shadow games or whatever, but you're playing cards with like these modern connotations, like Barrel Dragon, right? Did they have the idea for fucking robots in ancient Egypt? Did they have the idea of revolvers that you would put on a robot in order to shoot its guns in ancient Egypt? 
Obviously not. I don't well, know. It's, that's why it's, it's a revolver and not fun. a semi-automatic gun, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. They couldn't, they couldn't foresee, you know, they couldn't foresee AK-47s. They could foresee Cyber Commando, who has, like, you know, uh, a rocket launcher on his shoulder. Oh, my God. The, so, Yu-Gi-Oh! has been an amazing kind of, like, chaser to, to those very, like, bleak shows because... It's dumb, but it's also very sincere and, like, heartfelt, right? You know, you constantly have Kaiba, Mokuba, right? Like, you know, they, you have to trust in the heart of the cards. The spirit of friendship saves Yuki's day. It's just, it's like good old-fashioned shonen anime wholesomeness. N- not only that, but you're, you're you're also watching the, the four kids version, right? Like, I don't think there's another version, <laughs> so you must be, right? Like, you're not, like, watching the original <laughs> Japanese or whatever. Um, so there's all that. Nope, fun we are this. watching the four kids version with yeah. all of the four kids edits, like where they're where Bandit Keith clearly is holding a gun to Pegasus's head, but they just edit the gun out. So he's doing this, you know, where, where he's like, I mean, people who are listening can't see he's holding nothing to to Pegasus's head. Or sometimes they will like very crudely like drawn replacements. There's another part where Pegasus sends some goons to go like fuck with seto kaiba or whatever and you can tell they clearly have guns but it that but four kids have like drawn over it so it looks like they're just pointing at him you know like <laughs> oh anyway that's 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 my life what what have you been up to tell me yeah. how how things are going so uh, if uh if you recall um back when uh over thanksgiving i watched the oceans 11 or the ocean series so um, with my family, and we decided to do something similar. We, we split it a little bit. First, we went the George Clooney route, and we watched Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is uh, a really good movie. Um, you know, a little bit of magical realism. Also stars um, the guy who plays the mirror face cop in Watchmen. Tim Blake Nelson, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Who plays, uh, the... what is it, Looking Glass? Yeah, 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 that's his, that's his name, yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, and like one of the three dudes in, uh, in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which... Um, you know, the, the opening title says, like, based on the Odyssey, which is, like, very loosely based on the Odyssey, I guess. Like, there are, like, moments, but, like, I don't know. I, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I really like the Coen brothers. They kind of like their, like, semi-goofy magical realism. Like, at least the movies in that kind of genre, like Hail Caesar. Um, I, need to, I need to go back and watch m- more of their stuff. I never ended up watching Ballad of Buster Scroggins or whatever, which... I think they did some of them or something. That is also Tim Blake Nelson. I have not watched it either, but I know that Tim Blake Nelson is like mm. the guy. I need to watch that. He, I, I think, is Buster Scruggs in that. In that, yeah, makes sense. I love Oh Brother Where Art Thou, specifically the music. There was a while where my family got super into that soundtrack, and it was just like the CD that was in the car whenever we were driving someplace. Um, and the funny thing was is that like everybody loved the soundtrack, but we all had favorite songs. Like my favorite song was. Uh, the Big Rock Candy Mountains, the one about, you know, if you're uh, like the tramps who are um, uh, hobos and homeless or whatever, talking about like what their dream world would be. Um, yeah, man, I love that movie. That movie is great. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, yeah, no, there's just so much fun there. Um, the the other movie I, I watched was Logan Lucky. Are you familiar with Logan Lucky? I have seen Logan Lucky and Logan Lucky is also great. So we start watching it and we're like, and it's like, you know, from like, we were looking at it, it's like, wait, this is, this is Steven Soderbergh, right? Like, which is, mm-hmm. which is the connection, right? So it's like, we start watching, it's like, oh, this will be fun. It's like, I look up and like about like 30 minutes and my brother and I look at each other, like, this is just like redneck Ocean's Eleven, right? That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Only for later in the movie to someone say, they're calling it Ocean 7-Eleven, right? Like, he did. <laughs> 
Like, yep. like, it's like that's a line in the movie. Like, you know, he, he knows what he's doing, right? But like, it's I I really enjoyed it just because like you know besides you know Adam Driver being fantastic and you know all all of that kind of stuff. Like, whereas Ocean's Eleven wants to be like serious most of the time because it's supposed to be like a like you know like some of the funny moments in Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, Thirteen kind of like fall flat because you're expecting the move like the movie's got like a slightly more serious tone it's like kind of mm-hmm. like the the funny parts are like not quite uh coherent or not coherent coherent is the wrong word but not, not quite copacetic with with the rest of the movie logan lucky has doesn't pretend right like it's about you know it's about a bunch of rednecks trying to pull off a you know an ocean's 11 style plan so you can have the funny moments and have it just work with the tone of the movie um and it's yep. a lot of fun it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, Daniel Craig has a great character. I also just love Channing Tatum in that movie. Yeah. I think so. so I, I'm a huge lover of Steven Soderbergh for two movies that I talk about all the time, but I'm not sure I talk about them on the cast. Do you know my like long and deep and throbbing love for Magic Mike and Magic Mike? You've mentioned, XXL? yeah. <laughs> I love those two movies, and they're both well. Okay, okay. Technically. Um, Magic Mike XSL is not directed by Steven Soderbergh. He is the DP on that. He swapped with his typical DP for the sequel to Magic Mike, where he was the DP and his DP was the director. But they're both Steven Soderbergh movies, right? Like, um, where he's kind of a principal. Steven Soderbergh is that guy. He can get whatever he wants done, right? He just has the name in Hollywood. Anybody, if he wants any amount of money, he can get it kind of thing. And everybody wants to work with him because apparently he's a really nice guy. Um, and uh, and I just love Channing Tatum and him. They are so great. One of the things I loved about Logan Lucky was it was coming out, because this was a couple of years ago by now, but it was coming out right in the middle of like all of these, um, you know, like Hillbilly Elegy wasn't out, but like that archetype of movie, which is like, you know, all of the New York Times interviews with like diners in Western Georgia who really love Donald Trump and they hate the coastal elites or whatever, and talking about kind of um, you know like oh like the white working class people or whatever. I found all I hated all of those things. Right. So, so um, that and- is about the right time for the Hillbilly Elegy book. Um, okay, yeah, it, yeah. It, it is it is that sort of genre of like oh you know we may vote for you know republicans and all of these other things but we're really just having a tough time and you know people are we're we're dying out because of i don't know rust belt whatever and i just like don't have a lot of patience for that sort of kind of like narrative and it was like it just felt like it was everywhere like movies tv that kind of stuff hillbilly or i'm sorry logan lucky came out at that time when i'm like primed to just be like another one of these fucking movies that want me to like or whatever and i was instantly in like into these characters and who they are and they are the exact characters that are also all over the other place like these other places but there's just like something about the writing and the acting that i just like I don't know. I just I sincerely care about Channing Tatum and his daughter in that movie, right? Um, in a way that I bristle at some of these other sorts of kind of, you know, hokier, more wholesome kinds of, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, attempts at that kind of genre, I guess. Yeah, no, I I I, I get that. Funnily enough, I, I read Hillbilly Elegy a couple of years ago. It's that's that's not not like a really here nor there is it because jd jd vance is from west virginia i believe um yeah it's he, like autobiographical or whatever it is. yeah it's semi-autobiographical um because mm. he he's like he's like the guy that escaped that right like yeah um and he if i if if i remember correctly he is also kind of like 
changed like like it's it's not important. I don't I don't I don't want to go in, into like the personal politics of JD Vance, but uh, it's... I do need to I I need to watch the movie. Maybe we can talk about this in, like the back half because I do want to watch the movie. It's like a Ron Howard movie. People have been talking about it, and so it's like been on my list to to watch yeah. the movie adaptation, which is apparently not of you know not great, but we'll see. Also, it be is is it like because like the the book's like like a like a it's not quite a political treatise, but it's like him explaining why things are this way, right? It's not like a narrative. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, like is and I think the movie's like a, a narrative, right? Like Yeah, like I think it does actually sort of moment to moment explain this stuff. I don't know. I'm interested in it okay, even yeah. though I'm sort of dreading it. Um cuz, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um yeah. Uh so that's basically the big stuff I did with my week besides, you know, trying end up playing stupid amounts of wow because like that's the funnily enough that's one of the few games that can run on my laptop because my laptop is nice. a gaming machine so you know you know what's funny is wow has been running pretty poorly on my machine uh because really? i think nvidia fucked up the drivers um uh, it was i i immediately picked up a driver and uh, one of the new things they added in shadowlands was like ray tracing and um and ever since my machine has been running wow for, uh, t technically pretty fine but i get this weird flickering effect which i think is a lighting thing where like the light it's it's like it's in darkness but then it's but then it's that's like illuminated and that's, it a and that's a dx12 oh, thing that's a dx12 oh it is I, i'm i'm almost interesting because i i have the same i have a same similar problem so it's it's like the textures flicker on and off and like one's brighter than the other i think yeah. that yeah like um i like i googled that and it said switch it to dx11 and i didn't it went away um so interesting i did not know that i wonder how i we'll we'll, we'll figure that out how yeah. have you been enjoying your, your world of warcraft experience how deep have you gotten we were talking about torgast earlier yeah so yeah torgast has been fun um uh but like i've so i'm i am approaching the point where it's kind of like you know i should probably like pull myself back a little bit from it not because it's not fun but like i am making myself not have fun because it's like well i got to I have to get on and get all the anima that way I can be, you know, and do all like do all of everything. It's like if I just kind of did the big things, I wouldn't be as um, I wouldn't be as like drained by it, I guess. But like, you know, it's kind mm -hmm. of like, well, there's there's anima to get. So there's anima to get. Right. So like um, because I was because I was on that computer, I didn't want to um, do anything super hardcore. So I didn't I didn't really push anything. I just kind of did basic stuff. Um the world quests are a little too easy for my taste. Like that, that thing I was talking about last time we talked about how like, you know, um, you know, it feels a lot easier to die is slowly gone away as like, I've gotten better gear and whatnot. So, you know, there's that, yep. um, which is kind of expected, I guess. Um, but it's a little kind of disappointing. I, a little disappointing in that, like the, there's like not a lot of challenge, kind of like the base level stuff to do anymore, but like that, that's just the way the game goes. Yeah, I remember there was a time where world mobs scaled with you, like as you got more gear. But people really hated that, so they removed it. Oh I yeah, this is in Legion, right? Um, yeah, I I th I think that's probably worse. I just think I think the way it wants to be maybe is like stuff that you just can't do until like I I know that like you know they probably don't want to lock stuff behind stuff, but it's like you know like the the best the closest I get to this is like you know things that I wasn't able to solo before that I can solo now. Um, uh, what other kind of stuff is is there to, to say about uh, my experience? Yeah, I definitely. I I think that world quests and callings are things that people will grow out of. Like I, you know, I like world quests to be honest. Just as like a, a it's busy work in in a sort of sense to keep my like hands and mind focused 
on a thing while I'm also like, you know, whatever, watching Yu-Gi-Oh on my other screen sort of thing. Um, but like, there are no world quest upgrades left for me on Baron. Uh, the callings are also not super worth it, I don't think, uh, outside of just rep at this point, um, which is sort of interesting. One of the things that was nice about Battle for Azeroth and Legion is that, like, you, as you got these, like, emissary chests or whatever, you could, like, slowly gear yourself up to sort of, like, raid level, but they've paired that back. You don't get, you don't get that level of gear out of, uh, world quests anymore, though there are a couple of world quest upgrades in, like, the Renown tree, so maybe as you do, like, the stories, um, of like renown or whatever that is better um but like i think i think at a certain point like that stuff just kind of becomes very secondary and it's it's expected that like okay you know you have graduated on this character you have graduated sort of world quests you probably aren't going to do many more of that of like world questing so this is when you go into right like mythic plus is when you go into raiding yeah. when you get into like the big high-end group content kind of thing yeah no i i, I buy that um, have you been doing like raid finder or anything kind of along those yeah, lines? Yeah, I mean, I did. There's there's one wing of raid finder open, so I, I did that. Um, but as, as always, raid finder isn't super compelling just because, like, you know, it's CC, right? Like, it's not there's not yeah. a lot to do. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, I I think like uh, it's uh, it's it's fine, right? It's fine. Um, not a lot that I'm excited about. Not a lot that I'm excited about doing on my own, I guess, at this point, right? Like, yeah. Um, but you know, um, it kind of feels like it kind of feels like League of Legends a little bit in that way, where it's like at a certain point, solo queue just is going to be aggravating and not yeah. super fun, and you yeah. you need to like find a group kind of thing. Uh, something that we did over the weekend actually that was interesting was we did time walking Ulduar. Um, because they've added a bunch of raids. So, like, with Time Walking Weeks, right, you you know, you do the Time Walking Dungeons, and you get a piece of, like, raid gear or whatever. I kind of hate those dungeons. I've seen them enough times that they're sort of, like, a slog and not incredibly fun for me. Um, but w I pugged into... I was like, Time Walking Ulduar releases raid-level loot at, like, old loot levels, right? Right now, loot will drop at about three pieces per they, they cut raid drops in half right it used to be five pieces per 20 now it's three pieces per 20 people essentially right um Ulduar does not do that it scales right so we went in there with 15 people we were getting four or five drops per boss um and the bosses are like not super tough they're about as as hard as like a raid finder boss would be um but the thing that i found really funny was that when you're doing time walking content, you can equip all this old shit, right? I can equip my Legion legendaries, though they don't have their effects anymore. They just have stats. Um, you can equip uh, the Heart of Azeroth and your old Azerite gear. You can equip uh, like the legendary cloak from Pandaria or the legendary ring from Draenor, right? And all that stuff like functions and is like really good and really like powerful. And so uh, when I went in on Baird, I was pulling not quite the same. I was about half the level of DPS, but I was just like blowing everybody else out of the water because it all scales down. And so just as like an experiment in like dumb fun, layering all of these systems that are not supposed to be layered on top of one another. I had a really great time uh, doing, doing time walking old war. Also old war is just like a really fun raid. One of the interesting things about it is like doing the Yogg Saron fight really is just like Nazoth 1.0. Or like the that the Nazoth fight is sort of like an update of the uh, of sort of like the typical sort of like old con encounters. I've always really loved the Nazoth fight. Um, people really hated it, but I think that's just because BFA bad circle jerks reasons. Um, 
and uh and like my thing was i i always really liked that it, like it plays on sanity and it's like attacking your mind but you are also attacking like literally nazoth's brain you are going into his head and attacking his mind which is like a neat reversal and that's just, and like that's just cool that's like a it's like a neat sort of I don't know, aesthetic, I guess, to, to the setup of a raid encounter or whatever. But, like, so many of the mechanics I had completely forgotten about were these mechanics that we saw in in Cthune and also in Yogg-Saron's uh, boss fight in Ulduar, right? Where you're going into these, like, alternate phases where, you know, in the Yogg-Saron fight, you're looking at the future. You're looking at, um, like, you're going into the future, going into, like, these past... You know, you're going into Stormwind Keep, you're going into Ice Crown Citadel or whatever. In the Nazoth fight, you are being attacked by Ashara and Deathwing, who are, like, these two people that Nazoth corrupted um, and, like, used against you when you're going into, like, that secondary, like, mind phase, the tentacles and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just very cool. I like that. I like that experience a lot. I really enjoyed Time Walking Ulduar. And in a couple of weeks, I think it's Time Walking Firelands, which I'm also interested in seeing if we can, like, get a group together and doing... I have a feeling that Firelands is going to be more complex than that, though. Like, one of the things, you know, we always talk about getting better over time. One of the things we have gotten better at over time is designing boss encounters to not just be sort of tank and spanks. Uh, most of the Old War fights were functionally just tank and spank fights because, like, the mechanics are things that are so brain dead. It's just like, when ads spawn, kill them. That's it. Like, that's the mechanic of the yeah. fight, right? And that worked in, you know, I guess that worked in Wrath of the Lich King, but now we just sort of expect something a little more complicated than that. I do remember that Cataclysm had more complex raid mechanics in the Firelands raid than that. Um, and so I, I guess I'm just interested to see yeah. what it has to offer. I also hope that they add more time walking in the future. I would love to do time walking, you know, Mists, Draenor, Legion raids to see, uh, you know, as that stuff gets added, yeah, yeah, yeah. to see what it's like. <clears throat> makes sense no absolutely yeah uh, i've only ever done most of those things in kind of like the rearview mirror right like as like kind of like solo things that i did for fun like I, I did the end of pandaria um and but you know yeah no, yeah, I, yeah 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 <clears throat> all right well uh i think we're at the end of it then unless you had anything else you wanted to, to, to talk about I got nothing else to talk about. All right. Well, in that case, if you'd like to tell us what your favorite games are or the, any, or talk about any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at somedoorsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at somedoorsplaygames.com. Um, uh, follow us or rate and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitch where you can see these live now. Uh, follow us on YouTube where you can watch the recordings. Uh, uh, donate to us on Patreon if you feel like it. Don't feel obligated, though. Um, that's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything you want to promote before we get out of here? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. Well, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>